other podcast. Oh, wait, we're not doing a mic check? Uh, it sounds fine. Okay. <laughs> See how professional we are. <laughs> oh, since you're using a new piece of technology, maybe I should have, but we're, this is a Gundam podcast. You know, you, we like to have fun and talk about, you know, Gundam and anime. But I want to take one second first to talk about a very serious issue in the world okay. right, that, that's going to affect many of us. That's going to affect even more people once this once this comes out mm-hmm. in November. Right. You okay. know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, talk about like gala met ball and taxing the rich and and, you know, we're funding Israel missile defense system, two billion dollars while, while people are, you know, we, we, where that money could be spent on education or or in unemployment or health care. Right. And, and, you know, there's some really important developments. Something I want to take a minute and talk about one of those, which is the Netflix Cowboy Bebop live action version. Because we have both a poster and an opening now. I think it's important for us to talk about these, our thoughts. Ide- hopefully, ideally, as intellectual and from a more visual background and not from... Uh, there's a lot of noise, a lot of fanboy, fan fangirl noise, and hopefully mm-hmm. we'll try to cut through it. Okay. So let's talk about the poster first, because I know you and I had a little bit of Twitter about it. Yes. I'm going to say, from a, from a purely visual design standpoint, I think it's really boring. It is very boring. I completely agree. Yeah, so let's let's so for those who haven't seen it, it's just basically the three characters, Jet, Bay, and Spike. And Spike, they're in like a western looking background and they're backs to us and they're each holding a gun. And there's the title, Dead Center, and there's a, you see Spike you see Spike shit swordfish a little bit in the background. I think it's very, very boring. <laughs> right, maybe maybe we should maybe we should pull it up. Yeah, let's uh, pull it up. I'm trying to pull it up on my phone well, right let's now. See, since, since you're, I mean, since you actually do graphic design and draw, why don't you talk about what what makes this boring, especially when you compare it to the key art for all of the original one. Honestly, the first thing that comes up is that this is a poster design we've seen before. I've, I'm highly certain between 2010 to about 2018, every single action movie television show when it had a poster it'll always be this the the one character in the back right with their title um i think like it's one of those stupid phases like very similar to like what the martian started where you just be the face well no the martian didn't start that the social network started social it. Network, yeah yes the social network started where it was just the face and then like the three lines of words over the face and then now everybody was like oh my god this is graphic design genius we need this on every intellectual movie or some crap uh, you know it's like like certain you know me and phil we we, we learned a lot about uh, marketing graphic design a little bit in our comics mfa program and a lot of these things that were really in- cool and innovative and eye-catching when they first premiered, now they just run into the ground. Yeah. Uh, so, like, first of all, let's get even more specific. So, first of all, their backs are to us. Their backs are to us, right? So, we have no idea who these characters look like, right? Which is also very annoying. Yeah. It's trying to add this idea of mis- mis- mystery to it. But at the same time, we've seen trailers. We know who these characters are. Like, a lot of people know who John, John Cho, Johnny Cho um from harold and kumar from searching searching star trek uh yeah right better luck tomorrow me better luck tomorrow better luck tomorrow right you we have uh 
I think what is it Mustafa? Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Shakir, I don't know. Bushmaster. I just call him Bushmaster. Yeah, right. Bushma- Bushmaster from uh the second season of Luke Cage, right? Uh, but this time he's bald headed instead of having an afro and has a beard instead of being clean shaven. You know, I digress. We still know what he looks like. Um, the only actor I don't know here is the the woman playing Faye Valentine. I'm not too familiar with her background. Daniela Pinata. I think I saw you saying your name. Um. She was in apparently uh, Jurassic Park: Fallen Kingdom. Oh, was she one of the millennials that got Ian? I don't think. I think she survived. She's one of those like scientists. Characters okay. It's in the team. I just okay. like, she's like the one I think like Justice Smith's character has a crush on that she says like, "Oh, I'm gay." Mm. Uh, but I think she. I think she survives. Okay. I mean, anyways. Um. So this is the thing. So like, if you're the audience, if you're if you've seen the anime, you know who these characters are. So there's right. no point to this mystery. And, and if you're new, if you're new to this, I would argue that like their backs are to us. You don't, you can't connect to them. You, you know? really can, because like as human beings, we automatically try to look for a human face, even in something that is like non-objective. Like it's just a human idea to look for some, to look for human qualities to begin with. Backs to turn, right? Though we have the human quality, right? Because clearly they're humans, we're unable to see their face, so we can't identify with them. Yeah, and it's supposed to like look kind of cool and badass that they don't care about us, but that kind of that yeah, that's kind of played flat. out. Yeah. yeah. On top of that, it's also like the cliche of orange and blue. Which I mean, orange and blue makes sense, right? Complementary colors. It's a western. Yeah. Spike. I mean, and his outfit is iconic. The iconic and blue outfit. Iconic blue outfit with the with the yellow. Um, I mean, the outfits look fantastic. They're very uh, anime accurate. Mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, a lot of people are very upset about face costume not being accurate, but that that seems to be made more for practi- practical practical reasons. Exactly. Like you you really expect this woman to run around out here in poom poom shorts and a bralette? Like, come on now. She talked uh, about that. She made a very funny video responding to the criticism. Like <laughs> some, like people are. Of morons like the way you're like oh my god this is not accurate this is gonna be terrible i can't support this one yo shut the hell up man out here <laughs> talking talking all that nonsense like imagine you you had to be the actor or actress that had to be within this part right and you're like all right yo you gotta wear this this and this um cool but it's not practical for me to move in some sort of action right like imagine having to do an action scene and it <laughs> falls out then what Right, they're gonna have to restart production all over again. Yeah, Why she, not just cut through the fat? She actually joked about it. It's like, yeah, you know, we we tried a couple outfits, you know, but it's very hard to do action in when your outfit's made of tissue paper. Um, and she was like, and you know, plus it kept, it kept getting caught in all my crevices. So. Exactly. Imagine you trying to you trying to do a, a roundhouse kick with a wedgie. That doesn't look right, man. Come on. But to go back to the orange and blue, like it's not that in itself is bad, but a it's played out. It's very cliche. But also, you compare it to how colorful the the key art is for Cowboy Bebop. You know, you have the iconic red, purple, green, blue on, like, the DVD covers, the on posters. The DVD cover, yeah. With the, yeah. Um, with the black where it's, like, broken up as a um, a, a collage, which is, yeah, which is also yeah. very cool. So, like, this this poster, it, it's, like, it's like what you see on Twitter. It's like, Andy's played it super safe. The, net, the executives, the marketing people. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure this is there's obviously always going to be a, a a gap between the marketing people and the people who are actually involved with the show. 
exactly so, yeah, I, which, I which is which is which is always the case because like like i said on twitter right this is always an idea that like you know these these studio executives who have no idea of the source material they have no um sense of uh connection yeah, right they have no sense of connection with the fan base like they're like huh this is tried and true let's go with this but hey but look at the, it's kind of like um comic publishers and artists and the artist has to draw a cover and they try to show like just four and they're like yo this is the best one but then the publisher is always picking the worst one yeah. um, which is uh, i know uh, Bro- uh mark brooks told me that jeff darrell told me that Phil, uh, Felipe Smith told me that. So, like, if all these artists are telling me this, you know, publishers, yeah, got, y'all got to do better too. All of y'all getting dragged: studio executives and comic publishers. Let's go. And then the other thing that dropped yesterday, which I don't know if you saw, is they showed the opening to the live action show, which is much more in line, very style, very much styled after the anime opening. I, I did see that. it. Yes, the yeah. uh, with. Uh, with uh, Spike Siegel's character uh, running across yeah, and like it's cutting that, across. That iconic, you know, score by the seatbelts, Yoko Kono. Yeah, seatbelts, Yoko Kono. I watched it many, many times, especially with comparison. I don't know. I have a kind of mixed feelings about that. How do you feel? How did you feel about it? I was also kind of mixed feelings because, like, I mean, of course, within uh, animation, you are able to exaggerate. So. Like, even though it's not something realistic a human can do within their movements, like, for example, Spice, Spice Eagles Run, right? While compared to uh, John Choi versus the animated version, right? The animated version is, is way more elongated, way more stylized, right? So it becomes way more visually interesting versus John Choi's uh, run. Actual, which, he's an actual human being. He's an actual human being, right? So he's 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 literally just running. There's nothing exciting about that. I think it's also like something that I kind of like is that they're keeping kind of the campiness of the designs, right? Because mm-hmm. like the anime the visual styles, there's like a little bit of a '70s motif in it with like everyone yes. having arrows and whatnot. Yeah. And you got you got you know that 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 bounty hunter that he he fights for the eye dog. I don't remember his name. Oh, um, one that styled after Kareem Abdul Jafar. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he, yeah. that was the, that was within that that black exploitation episode. Yeah, so like he, you know, he's got the frilly dress like it. You got the the terrorist, the otter terrorist group, <laughs> and, and and like they all have their silly mask. She's she's got the outrageous outfit. Yeah. Uh, you got Teddy Palmer. Did it? Did they show like uh, Miguel? Which ones? No. Miguel was that, from the, the is that first. That loser, is that a no. loser on Venus? No, that, that was it. Vina? I don't know. He was fr- he was from the first episode. He was the the bounty that he he would take Isomoth. his gun. Isomoth. Isomoth. Oh, Isomoth. Yeah. yeah. Isomoth and his wife. Yeah. His, yeah. His, his pregnant wife, quote unquote. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They showed they showed a lot of the iconic characters. They showed Anna, the the bartender friend of Spike from Spath. They showed Vicious. Vicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I almost said it the way the Japanese say because it, <laughs> it's in English. Um, the thing about it is that. A is like some of these are like kind of shot for shot remix, mm-hmm. so I'm always a little worried about like visual fidelity, right? Like like you know I think you know Zack Snyder's monster kind of show, we take it to an extreme, it, it doesn't really work. No, it doesn't. Um, but I feel like but that's different though compared like because it's shot for shot from a comic so that they're trying to adapt versus an animate an animated cartoon that they're adapting. That's that's true. Um, but also like. The comparison I saw people make, it's like, it looks a little bit like Sin City, 
or even some of the less flattery ones were like Speed Racer. <laughs> oh my! But Speed Racer was a good movie. <laughs> I mean, visually, it was a good movie. I, I can't, I cannot argue. I, that's all I could. I can't do it. I can't. I want to be with the Speed Racer defenders, but I just can't. There's too many flaws that hold it back. It's too long, and I hate the monkey and the kid. I mean, okay, so if they took out the monkey and the kid, would you like the movie more? No, it's still too long. It's like two and a half hours. Okay. <laughs> you need to shave at least 30 minutes, preferably an hour, hour and a half. Most most modern movies are thirty are, uh, two hours and 30 minutes long. That so. movie, just, there's just, okay, we're, we're not going to let it start too speedy. <laughs> but also, and this is where people are finally patient, like, why, why are you sitting outside talking about Kyle Viva? Go back to Gundam. Because Gundam is getting a live-action adaptation. Yes, they are. From the um, director of Kong Skull Island. Yeah, and a screenplay by Brian K. Vaughn. And it's a question, I think. It's like, how when you make something, when you make a live-action version of an animated property, like, and you have to represent that visually, like, what are the challenges? All right? And Cowboy Bebop is so stylized, mm-hmm. but it works in animation. Because, like, that's a, that's a more subjective... You've established a certain art style, right? You establish a certain look for the world. Mm-hmm. And I think people are people can buy into that. But when you when you fill it with real people and you make it set in the real world, now I, it's a being a different set of rules, a being a certain set of limits. So I think it becomes a question of like, does some of these like exaggerated like outfits and stuff like that? Well, will that translate well to the live screen? Right, which is which is always the big thing. Um... I mean, with Cowboy Bebop, their like their outfits that they wear is like really rooted in reality, so like it works. Versus like imagine seeing a human actor in a in a normal suit, right? Um, I mean, this live uh live adaptation of Gundam wouldn't be the first because there is G Savior, um, which is the only live adaptation of Gundam. <laughs> I was gonna say, isn't that the one that we want to talk about? Uh, I mean, there, there, there are fans of it. I mean, I, I've never seen the movie, so I, I can't argue for nor against it. So that's just because a question of like Gundam, the most outrage, the most obviously the most outlandish thing are the actual Gundams in that yes. space. And yeah. like, qu- kind of question how well would that translate? Probably, I mean, in terms of they could probably actually realize it in terms of okay, we've had Transformers because it's right because we have Transformers. You know, I mean, like if ready. you if you ever seen Ready Player One, right, that whole fight scene of Mechagodzilla yes, versus Gundam, right, that was spectacular. Like I I never knew I wanted that as an adult, but ten year old Philip knew he wanted that. So apparently, ten year old Philip was ahead of the curve. Well, it'd be it'd be kind of interesting to see if they can meet the visual challenges. I mean, Gundam's also. It's easier than something like Cowboy Bebop because it's just much more rooted in reality. Right. The, uh, I'm assuming I'm assuming they're doing the UC one, right? I that's what I think they're doing as well. But it, that makes me wonder though how it's it. There's no way. There's no way that you can like take Gundam and just fit it all into one movie. It's clearly being thought of as a trilogy. I guess the same way the uh the compilation movie for the the first for Double uh, O Seventy Nine. So, like, I mean, so we have to have the activation, right, of the Gundam walking. We have to see, and it's probably, like, I already see how this first movie is going to end, right? It's going to have, we're going to have the Gundam awakening, 
them launching into space, them arriving uh, on Earth in order to get to uh, Jaburo, right? And then the movie's going to end off when they go to Los Angeles to try and uh, fight Garma. And that's where you see Char set them up. <laughs> Los Angeles. Yes, that's all in Los Angeles. That's where the, the Xeon made their base. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Speaking of realism in Los Angeles, we'll take to our actual Gundam episodes today. So we're back with uh, Gundam 00, and we're going to be doing the third and fourth episode, Changing World and International, International. Negotiation. Yeah. Uh, so don't worry. Thanks for sending us through that segue. If you want to complain, uh, you, you can at me, at Andrew Yang, and at Philip. Uh, the real Candace, though. Yes, because by day I'm full of, by night I go by Candace. <laughs> Candace Owens, yes. yes. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll use this email pretty eventually for this account. Eventually. Yeah. But let's see. Let's let's recap where we left off. Um, oh, okay. You know, Gundam O, Celestial Being shows up. Very good pilot. Very good uh, opening episode. Mm-hmm. Second one kind of continues on the, the aftermath of, like, everyone's reacting, trying to figure out who they are. So you see, you see cracks in like this, you know, this is supposed to be what you think is a crack team of a Gundam Meister hotshots. They're <laughs> not, they don't work together. They're not exactly the well-oiled machine you think they are. No, they're not. And then, I mean, my favorite part about it is uh, Cessna th- believing he is a Gundam. Yep. <laughs> which yeah. I, which I enjoy because everyone is just weirded out by like. Just like the audience, they don't know what he's talking about. They had no idea what he's talking about. But you know what? By the end of it, though, everyone was like, this man became a Gundam. Uh, yeah, literally. Kind of literally. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Iron Blood Orphans. There's a character who becomes a Gundam more literally. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to talk about Iron Blooded Orphans. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm also excited about the three new animated projects. From Sunrise, because we're getting uh, the Witch of Mercury, right? That's the new Gundam series. We're going to be getting an adaptation of a Gundam manga called uh, Doen. What is it? Doen's Counter Strike or something? Uh, uh, no, Do- Do- Doen's Island, which that, takes place uh, during UC. Okay, that's a UC one. Yeah. yeah, so it's about an AWOL uh, Zaku uh, f- uh, soldier. who I mean, I said Zaku. An AWOL uh, Xeon fighter, right? Who, who doesn't necessarily side with the federation but like he he goes and like tries to stop the the, uh the xeon forces from like doing whatever they need to do i'm not familiar with it because i never read it and then the third one is the uh urda hunt which is a continue well uh side story of iron-blooded orphans so instead of looking towards like mars and earth this is taking place within venus and we get introduced to a new gundam frame interesting interesting yeah. I guess that makes sense. They would just do side stories because that story, <laughs> that storyline is more or less wrapped up. Oh yeah, definitely. Like it's completely done. Like yeah. the, I would love could, to see. You could do the time skip. I would be interested to see it, the story set in between. Um, not a big fan of like stories like that. Oh, you, oh, you mean the story? Oh, the, the time skip. Like yeah, that gap. It, oh, the gap. I thought you meant like, like a time skip to like see like uh, no, 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 no. Mika's son. No, I don't care about that. I mean. Uh, they probably will do that in like ten years or so. But all the the found Gundam frames are essentially destroyed. Whatever. All right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a writer for Gundam. So. 
But like the that period in between when they they went from like ragtag to like established business because it's like what two years? Uh, yeah, two years, two years in between. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool to see them like the the transition. Mm. Uh, the tra- the story said that transition in between. Right. Um, but anyways, that's that's you know enough of that. We'll get to kind of the core of today's episode. Gundam Double O. Um, I st- I recall these first few episodes still being pretty good at this point. So. Yeah, honestly, I would have to say season one was completely solid all the way through. It's just like once we get to season two, that's where it starts to get funny. Yeah, yeah. But this one, I think, if I recall, where season episode two ended on well, a cliffhanger with Graham Aker mm-hmm. coming in against our Gundam Meister. So this one is going to pick it right off. And, you know, I like his character. He's a character I enjoy a lot in the series. Yes, and he's also the shark clone. Yeah. Which we'll talk about more as we do go through the episode and uh, in the break in between. We'll talk about their long running motif of uh, homage and XPs of uh, Char Azanad. So let's go. Um, episode Asnab- three. Asnable? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. we'll, we can talk about how to pronounce it later. Episode three The Changing uh. World. Original air date December 1st, 2008. Uh, let's get underway. Three, two, one. For those of you at home, we're starting now. All right. So here we go. Graham Aker, you know, American, American, USA, woohoo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. USA, USA. <laughs> yep. He's taking on Cessna here in the, uh, Exia. And, you know, of course, he's, of course, you know, where we talked about the, the union free energy, they're American because all their, all their mobile suits are called flags. Oh, or flags, yeah. See, but when you really think about it, though, the flag is probably one of the coolest machines because, like, it's it, it can never run out of power. It's solar it's solar uh, generated. Uh, aren't they all solar generated at this point? Yes, they are. But the flag in particular, though, right? Think of it, It's solar power. It's able to, it has high mobility because of the thinness of it, right? And it's able to shift from a, uh, from a mobile suit to an MA. I mean, a uh, mobile armor or a flight mode, if you will. There you go. All right. Brief standoff. Runs away just because he has a beam saber. Uh, then we get to our, our anime opening here. So I took I took some time after our last discussion to look into that meme about the dog with the samurai sword. Uh, Katana, and then closing is dog looking out the window sad. Just <laughs> uh, had some fun with that meme, and it's like there's there's actually a lot of anime that does fit that description. I mean, I feel like almost every anime I've ever seen in my life fit that description, except for Eureka Seven, of course. Let's see. Do all? You think, do you, is there a Gundam series that doesn't really fit that, or do they all they all fit that mode? Uh. Let's see. I'm thinking about all the ones I've seen. Uh, well, Gundam Wing for sure. Gundam I mean, Wing, yeah. It's not sad, but it's a, definitely really it's weird. It's very melancholy. Yeah. Uh, Gundam, I mean, I don't remember the opening or ending of Gundam Seed. Like, I, I remember just disliking Seed so much that I, like, pushed it out of my mind. I don't remember how well was the ending credit for G Gundam. Yeah, and, I don't remember that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched all these shows during during streaming, and since it was streaming, like, you know, I skipped the opening and the ending. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I will, at least they come up with something, whereas American TV, they just show the credits. They just show the credits, yeah. Or just the title card. Yeah. Which was which I always was disappointed in terms of American uh, animation. Because it was like, yo, you used to have like cool kick-ass songs. Like, you know, the theme song to Mummy's Alive or um, the theme song to Pokemon. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. You know? <laughs> it's funny you bring up Mummy's Alive. Cause that was such a... I mean, most of these are sell, meant to sell toys, but that one was like really plated about selling the toys. It was. But at the same time, I loved it. Alright, so here we go. Um... Kind of the fog up. That fight, that fight was not really, did not last very long. <laughs> no, it didn't. It was, it was like, it was a little, it was a little tease yeah. until we, we see them. I think what they fully fight within uh, season two. I think they fight again in the season as well. Later. Okay, because I remember uh, during the, because the Americans they go ahead and make a team of like top notch uh, flag fighters. Yeah, yeah. And now. Yeah, and that was the and that was the name of the team. And I remember the the black guy. He was like, he was. I remember him being very upset when uh, Graham Akerd quote unquote died. Or or, or they or they just bad about Africa. He's like you know the Maverick, right? It's like it's like very Top Gun esque. It was it was yeah. truly Top Gun, and I, and I loved every second of it. <laughs> All right, so apparently his job he wasn't trying to fight him. He was just trying to. He literally just grabbed his shoulder of his gun and tried to get some paint for analysis. Mm-hmm. Well, he was trying to rip off a part of it, but he only got some paint. <laughs> uh, now the news people, you know, 24-hour news network still exists in 2300. I also find what I said it's 2300, yet everyone's clothes look, still look like our clothes today. You know, the, like, you see, because uh, style never dies. Because if you think about it, right, it's just it just keeps looping itself around. Because, you know, people dressed in the 80s, 70s, 80s, right, 90s, and then the early 2000s, we went back to the 80s. And then within that mid, like we went back to the nineties. So you th- you think right now the twenty hundreds, everyone's just everyone was just a like, fad. This is a fad right now. They're just in two thousand era business suits. Pretty much. It's like I guess also if you like Star Trek is a good example. If you try to make you try to be too futuristic with the fashion, it just looks like a joke. Yeah. Because like like early on they just all dressed in like onesies and pajamas and looks so silly. <laughs> And it's like really funny. It's really funny because then they 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 put out Picard, uh-huh. which is the farthest set in the timeline, and all of a sudden everyone's back to like leather jackets and business suits and, t- and ties. Okay, was there any universe reason for that? No, there was not. I'm, and I'm not saying they should explain it. We should just pretend the pajamas and stuff like never that. happened. <laughs> I'm assuming it's just it's just a fashion thing. Like, you know, leather jackets are cool. Why not just wear leather jackets all the time? Yeah, I you know, guess business suits, business suits are cool. Why not just keep wearing business suits? I mean, but it is out of play that no one wears the spandex anymore. Uh, <laughs> so. We should bring it back. Yeah, maybe. You know, if they make season two, sure. No, sorry, season two is the time travel one. Anyways, here we go. All the Gundam pilots, they're meeting in their civilian outfits. Wait, I thought Picard was a limited series. Yeah, but it was successful enough they're making it. They got it. They made a season two. Oh, man, they're doing the Legend of Korra thing. Anyways. All the Gundamicers, they're all getting coffee. They're all dressed in their civilian outfits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who, who would you say is your favorite fit? Uh, wait, second. I said, who would, who has your favorite fit? Wait, wait, in terms of the outfit? Yes. Oh, I guess, I don't know. They all look, they all, I mean, Hallelujah and Lock On are kind of generic. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Tiaria because he's he's confident enough to wear a pink sweater, <laughs> right? He he like he's like he looks like the Carlton pink sweater, but he also has he's just a he's just a gun that's just like four cannons. Yeah, like um, kind of reminded me of the the smorgasbord cannon from the uh from Iron Blooded Orphans or the the high mega particle beam cannon from Double Zeta. So funny enough, I read that originally Tara was supposed to be a woman. Oh really? And I guess they decided that, for whatever reason, I guess they wanted to make a boy band. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's such a perfect way to describe these characters. You know, like ever since playing like Final Fantasy 15, and it was like just four dudes on a road trip. I was like, yeah, this this is essentially a boy band. Oh my god, all these Gundam groups are essentially just boy band. Gundam Wing, boy band. Yeah. Double O, boy band. Iron Blood uh, Orphans. Uh, I wouldn't say boy band because they got little kids in there too. Punk band. I guess, yeah, I guess a punk band. <laughs> like just a whole whole ass mosh pit. I mean, that's just you know the Japanese aesthetic in general, mm. right? Because they they always like you know the Western idea of like a man is like big muscles and square jaw, like like you know John Cena in uh, Suicide Squad, Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Like that's their idea of what a a, ma- a man looks like. Right. Whereas, Whereas the taste in the East in general is different. Here we go. Here's the introduction to one of the cooler characters. Uh, I don't know his full name. I just know him the Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just the Colonel. That's all I need Boris. To know. Boris, Russian last name. Was it Smirnoff or something like that? Yes. Yes, it was the liquor. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. It was like, they just named it after the liquor, but no, it was just the Colonel. No, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of like, uh, what was it? All throughout, like, uh, Ghost in the Shell, they kept calling the Major the Major, and then mm-hmm. you later find out her name is Makoto, uh, Makoto Kusanagi at yeah. the very end. Various political factions just, like, forming their new departments and squads to deal with Celestial being. You know, right. a, little, a little more setup, but, you know, this setup I find fascinating. <laughs> See, this is the thing I always found interesting, too, because, like, last week we were talking about the People's Reform League and how, like, you know, it's made up of the China, China Russia, and India bloc. Yeah, human reform, yes. Yeah, and here, even though like we we all understand that the the Colonel Smirnov is um is Russian, right, because of his last name and everything, it still still feels very Chinese to me. And like the 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 head of the base is within um China, with is it within Beijing? I also imagine at this point, twenty three hundred is a lot more intermixing at this point. Mm. There's all like everyone's ethnicities. Is it very ambiguous? Yeah, because, you know, like 200 years, that's presumably become less of an issue at this point. Ah, I see. I mean, like, I, I, like, I get the sense that the divisions are more political. They're more due with political and political influence rather than anything, you know, race, religion, gender, etc. Right. Although, even though, like, the, the whole uh, lock on straddles being Irish and there's like an implication that he's like IRA or something like that. IRA, yeah. That, that they still like, exist in the future. It's like, holy crap, the IRA lasted 500 years, I mean not 500, like lasted 300 years in the future? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. like, man, I, I guess the, the UK, did, I mean England deserved it. I'm sorry to all the British listeners out there. That was that was just a joke. That was just a yeah. joke. But most of them, most of them probably, uh, probably feel the same way. Oh man. 
Anyways, let's focus, here's focus on two characters that everyone hated the first season. Saji Crossroads and Luis Salaviv. Yes. It's like, this is a scene straight out of a different anime right now. I was like, wait, where are my giant robots? When did this become a uh, a school show? Yeah, so like slice of life, college drama thing with those two going on. Mm. Uh, another weird, another another scene with some other supporting characters. I don't really remember these characters at all because they're, they're just, they have such small roles. Alejandro or something and the Chinese person. Oh yeah, because they were the part. The, they were the people who were funding uh, Celestial Being. Yeah. These these characters are I thought were just so ancillary, so tertiary to the overall plot. Like I I really forgot about them. Yeah, like so I, this guy this guy was cool. Our bodyguard's cool. Yeah, I mean it was the bodyguard's cool because like you know he does he does kung fu stuff. But yeah. oh, this Rivet's all mark. You know, oh nothing important about him. Well, I didn't <laughs> even realize he showed up so early in the series. Oh well, yeah, because that's the point. He he just shows up as like seemingly a background character and like. Why are you spending so much free time this guy? Mm. Uh, who knows why? We'll, we will, we'll never find out at all. Definitely nothing important happens to him. You know, in, in thinking about Ribbons, uh, I was not a big fan of the Reborn Gundam's uh, design. I, I don't know what that is. Uh, that was that was his, the Gundam he uses at the end of the fight between... Oh, uh, is that the, that's the one in the very beginning? That looks like... Uh, the original one? No, that's the old Gundam. The reborn Gundam was the Gundam with the that would like turn around and had like the the four blasters on its back. Whatever. I don't really care. I don't it's, care. About I do not care about the the, the mechanics. <laughs> I tell you, I'm for story and character and oh speed God. and political commentary. Look, see this right here. This is this is what I care about, right? It's just Crab Acre and the scientists. They're talking about what makes the Gundam ticks. No, I wanted. I, would, I mean, I like that too. But yes. you know, show me the giant robots. You learn, learn their names. Damn it! You gotta, you gotta show Grunt's appreciation. All right, sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a bunch of people, listeners, are angry at me right now. I would. Uh, like, look at this man. How can you not love a Grunt? I think you should just be grateful. I'm not one of those people who doesn't care about at all and only <laughs> care about giant robot fights. I, I guess you're right. Yep. So there we go, introducing the American scientist character, uh, whatever, the professor something. And there's just more, there's more discussion of just like them figuring out celestial being. Well, exposition, but it's good exposition, I think. Like another thing I realized, his name is not Boris, his name is Sergey, Sergey Smirnoff, the colonel. <laughs> yep. I don't know, I keep calling him Boris. He looks like a Boris. That's like that's like the wire that they can joke about that. Every they always call the Russian characters Boris. <laughs> it's really ironic because the Russian character saying that is played by an American actor. You know, it's uh, I was on Twitter the other day too, and they were talking about how like imagine how you have a lot of like British actors playing American roles. I said the only way we could get Americans to play British roles is if they come out of uh, Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, here we go. Graham Akers is saying he's totally in love with with the enemy Gundam, mm. uh, which 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 becomes arguably a little more literal later on, depending, I mean, on, depending how certain fans' interpretations. Right, um, because I mean, honestly, the way the way the series ends up, uh, Setsuna walks away with the best girl, which is the uh, Gundam Quanti. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, here we go. This is our, this is our conflict right now. Uh, another arm intervention. There's uh, some kind of African African mining thing. Yeah. I don't I don't fully understand the conflict because this is how they treat they still treat it like Africa's conflict. Just it's just conflict rated land even in the future. Right. Yeah. Because I think here it's supposed to be a part of the the AEU, isn't it? Yeah. The the, the yeah the advanced European Union or whatever they're all. Right. See, but then I guess at the same time, though, nothing is ever truly uh, satisfying because remember the episode where they were trying to do uh, they were, where the country, the small country was trying to break away from the union and they were trying to use uh, celestial being against the I union. Think this, I think that's this episode. Oh, is it? Oh, OK. See, this episode, they're, they're talking about it right now. There's like a country making narcotics. Latin America, which again, just that many years in the future, they still have that problem. Yeah. Uh, Escobar, like you know, reincarnation. Escobar came back. Yep. All, all his impulses have run around. They're not terrorizing the Amazon. <laughs> but here we go. See, we get some. But it's also like this is important. It's not like a fight they're doing. Like on the Meisters, they're just bombing or just shooting. They're just overpowering whatever resistance they come in. Right. By breaking their breaking their toys. Yeah, you even you even hear Lock on Stratos talks about like he hates it because he just feels like a bully. How <laughs> how easy it is. Right. Nice touch uh, characterization. And then here we go. Now that now there's I guess a third attack right now, which <clears throat> Sergey Colonel Sergey is about to go do. And of course, you know you can tell he's either you can tell he's a badass. He has a scar across his face. Oh yeah, of course. That means that means he. All right, apologize, listeners. We had some. Technical difficulties. But it's okay. God damn, they have technical difficulties all the time, right? Yes, they do. Alright, so uh, we're resuming it right now. I'm going to unpause for those of you at home. You can unpause starting. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I you're already, you already watched it all the way through. Whatever. First. Let's just keep going. Alright, so Cessna is doing Cessna things. Right there. What do you say? Exia continuing. Exia continuing to. to Eliminating targets. That's his cash yeah, risk. You know? Slicing and dicing. Yeah, he has a shield, which I forgot he. Yeah, I forgot he has a shield. You know, I forgot he has a shield too, because I, you know, just know him as the the Seven Swords guy. <laughs> All right, there we go. Slices we, the gun, then it explodes. The cool pose thingy. See, uh, like I think the most interesting, I the the most interesting fact of um double O of Gundam double O is the uh the types of mobile suits we see within like these political blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Because the Terran, for example, is completely different from the Enact and the Flag. It's very blocky, very much reminiscent of the Zaku. It's much yeah, it's much more industrial, mass produced looking. Right. Which become coming from the Human Reform League, uh it's it just fits, especially like looking at the the suits that the pilots wear too. Like it's a full face with the uh with the holes, yeah. um, which is supposed to be yeah, reminiscent yeah. Of like the, they're like really drab colors. Yeah, which is supposed to be reminiscent of like um fighter pli- fighter pilots. Yeah, is, yeah. You you really get a, it's like it's very dehumanized, you know, mm-hmm. much more mass produced compared to like the flag, which is like really sleek, right? It, right. Lo- it looks cool, right? They put a lot of you know, it's like the this is like you know the American military. It's like they put a lot of there's a little bit of like ego in how it looks, but also like this is 
more of a first world nation than a lot of these other countries for much longer. Right. And, and then I guess the European Union is, I don't know, what is they're all, they have they have dressed in like a, a cool color. I mean, yeah, I mean, because the the enact is essentially the flag, but in like a very uh, bright green, like a jade green. Yeah. So and so, I guess it's supposed to be commentary, like the the European Union likes to copy off of America. But they're in like a a less a more I don't know fruity color because Americans views of Europeans and that they're into like you know weirder stuff. I. Yeah, I guess. Because, like, I mean... You know, they, you, don't really you, see... you know, look at their movies. They're, like, French movies. You know, like, surreal... Like, like the, the stereotypical view of what European tastes are like. They eat... They eat... You know, they eat, they eat fries. They eat... They call it a royale with cheese. They eat, they eat <laughs> fries and mayonnaise, you know? It's just so weird. Because I've been to France, and they that's actually a thing. Well, the, the mayonnaise... I've had, I've had mayonnaise fries in Europe. The mayonnaise is very different. It's actually tasty. Oh. Their mayonnaise is not the same. They don't make the mayonnaise like we do here. Like, I mean, a lot of the things they they don't do. Yeah, but it's like it's like especially made for dipping. So it actually it does tasty. You know, <laughs> we probably lost so many God the listeners now because we're talking about fries. Talking about fries, but I feel like if you love Gundam, you must love fries. Yeah, right. Especially if you're uh, the you're a fan of Rose Gundam and G Gundam. Right, yeah, French fries, French Gundam. Neo France. Neo France. Neo French fries are from Belgium. Because I think uh, the oh yes they are, and <laughs> hamburgers are from Hamburg. Yep. Uh, so anyways, yep. There's uh, a little more Tyria, and it's being kind of a dick right now. <laughs> to uh, <laughs> doing Tyria things, being a dick for no reason. Yeah. Uh. You know, it was always funny, the like, especially when you mentioned that like he was supposed to be a, a woman originally. I was like, oh, that cross-dressing scene where like he. Uh, yeah, I think that, the, I think that was intentionally like a joke, like an inside joke for themselves. Right, because I mean, there's also a female, his female twin as well. Yeah, you know, spoilers for season two for a show that's been came came out, came out like, twelve years ago. Twelve years ago. Oh. Yeah. Uh, here we go, boom, that's the here's here's the twist. For these two storylines now, Saji Crossroads, that his next door neighbor is Setsuna. <laughs> so now we've become slice of life Gundam. Yes. Which is, uh, rem- yo, you know what show we need to talk about too? Uh, Welcome Home Gundam San. <laughs> I was gonna say like Freeze Company, but they're Gundam pilots. No, it's uh, it's pretty much like a Gundam just out in the world doing regular things in modern Japan. Yeah, I would just love to see a Gundam sitcom. Like, they just all live at home. We never see a Gundam fight. We never see an actual Gundam. They're just dealing with <laughs> living with sharing an what? apartment. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, I'd watch that. That's a webcomic. We should make that webcomic. We just don't call it Gundam. That's a webcomic. We would call oh, it. Okay, we should do that right now. Okay, everyone, you're in the patent pending. Copyrighted. We came up with the idea first. <laughs> okay, so we got we got to come up with some, like, really tasting designs and storylines before someone steals the idea. Right. I mean, like, I feel like it would only work. It would work best as like strips. Yeah. So like four pa- four panels. Yep. There we go. All oh, right. that's oh. the end. That was the end of the episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, because now we're we're seeing the uh. The credits. Yeah. The credits. Yeah. Ends on a ends on a. Well, I guess it make, I guess it kind of made sense on where it ends. Because they're all just processing the days. Processing. 
Yeah, because their processing was was happening because the world slowly but surely is beginning to change. I mean, of course, those who are in power are not going to let the Gundams do what the Gundams are continually doing. But again, no, no, no nation is able to take them on head to head. Yep, not yet, at least. Not yet, yes. Yeah, and then um, yeah, that's that's yeah. You know, but I think it's a continuation, a little more, a little more character, a little quieter. Uh, but that's the thing with these shows, you know, you can only have action for so much. You gotta like let things quiet down a little bit. You right. can do the low beats and your high beats. I know there's probably some of the more fanboyish people who complain about that. Just like, just give me fight, give me beam lasers and beam beam swords and beam rifles every episode. I mean, I think like that sometimes. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, whatever. Yeah, you, you have your Gundam build series for that. Which is yeah. I, which is very enjoyable, and I highly recommend it. All right, we'll get to that eventually. We'll yeah. get to that next. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, we'll get to that before you see or 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 any of these other big ones. We'll get to, we'll jump right into the, the one yeah, made for children. Straight straight into into build series. Yes, it's made for children's. And then they made like are there like three of those? There's uh four because there's uh Gundam Builder fighter Gundam build build fighters, uh Gundam build fighters try, okay. then uh Gundam divers and then Gundam re uh Gundam divers re 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 rise. Okay, good good intermission between episodes. Gundam build, uh sunrise cut us a check. Yes. Should, well, no, you should cut Phil the check because I'm not ready for Rodney's build. <laughs> yes, and then you have like their little OVAs, like uh, Jim's counterattack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might watch it. They're like willing to like poke fun at themselves like that. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Tiny Titans. I don't know if you ever read that. Yes, I have read Tiny Titans. Okay, yeah, the comic. For those who don't know, it was a really popular like kids comic of. Teen Titans, yeah. but not only was the art good enough, you could like it's, it's like very cartoony, but you can enjoy it as an adult. There's lots of in jokes and references to like DC comics in general that adults will only adults will get. Right, uh, which was uh, because I think Art Art Bathazar, uh Yes. That. Yes. Yeah, it's really really funny. Highly recommend it. If Bill Divers is like that, I might watch it eventually. Uh, Build Fighter. Build Whatever. Fighters. Build Fighters is like that. I I haven't finished watching Build Divers, but Build Fighters is definitely like that. All right. Oh, it's on YouTube. So it is on YouTube. Yes. All right. So let's get into episode four. Uh, international negotiation. Original air date. Um. October Japanese October twenty sixth two thousand seven. Mm. English December first two thousand eight. I believe this is the introduction of Marina. Ismail. Yes, the uh, the 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 princess or queen or whatever of the Arab country that Setsin is from. Yes. Uh, no, it's it's the country that. Well, we'll find out. It's it's not the country where he's from. That was the one he was trying to take over. It's, yeah, it's the one that's taking over. Yeah. So, uh, but this is kind of important. It's like this is like kind of a recurring character. Let's take a minute to talk about it. It's a kind of a recurring character type they like to use in Gundam. It's like a female character who doesn't take part in the action, who's like kind of the pathesis character. All right, it's supposed to be the idea of like you know alternatives to peace, uh, to which war. Alternatives to war. 
yes, yes, to war. Um, like we see a very heavy extreme of that in Gundam Wing with uh uh Reina uh Peacecraft. Peacecraft, literally in her name. Yeah. <laughs> um, Iron Blood Orphans is a little bit of that with um Cudelia, is that her Cudelia, name? Cudelia, yeah. Yeah. Cudelia I mean, Bernstein. Yeah. I mean, she's not necessarily advocating for favoritism, but she's like the non-action. She's the one that does a lot of the diplomacy. The diplomacy, yeah. So like, I I think that like uh, Ina Ina um. I mean, sorry, well, because that's her middle name, but Cordelia's uh, arc and Iron-Blooded Orphan, I think it was the best way they did it, because it wasn't so much the idea of looking towards beasts, but the idea of the Earth to not exploit Martian resources and to make Mars its own independent planet. Yeah, and that, you know, she does it an alternative path other than just blowing stuff up. Blowing like, stuff up. Does. And yeah. then... Um, Okay. And, and this is one I think is more interesting with Ismail, because she's, like, very dedicated to peace, mm-hmm. but unlike in Gundam Wing, it's much harder for her to realize that dream, because just in the world she lives in. Right. Uh, it's very hard, it's very difficult to advocate for peace when you're probably the least powerful country. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, you, you have no power to actually make it happen. It's when you're a, when you're like the time when you're t- when like on an international scale when you're like the size of a thumbtack, right? It's easy to throw away all your weapons. Yep. Um, but then doesn't that make you easy for invasion? Yeah, well, that, that's I think that's what kind of is the debate about, and we'll see how they tackle it. In uh, Metal Gear Solid, Peace Walker deals with that. Costa Rica, right? It has a, It's like Japan. They they've. They don't have a standing army. They, they've sworn off war as mm-hmm. an institution. And it's like kind of fascinating. Again, this is the kind of the cultural influence of Japan, right? It was this a very imperialistic country brought low by World War II. And right. They're very, well, some factions. Some factions are now, I guess, are going to go back to that on the right the right wing Japanese factions. But, like, they, they take an examination of, like, what does war cost them? And it's, that influences so much of their their art and pop culture interesting and, uh i had no idea yeah you remember like it's like um mw remember we read that in uh, grad school oh i'm uh, sorry i was i was stuck on the idea the costa rica i understand oh, uh, yeah. ja- japan like which which made sense to, after yeah. world war ii because of yeah. how quickly they were able to rise to power like you know yeah. beating the crap out of china russia yeah but a lot of it is because like um uh, because they did they just swore off the army and like we don't care about waging war. Like America, they can they can spend that money from the military on their economy and their people. Yeah. The drawback being is then last something like Gundam shows and it's Shin Godzilla. That's because that was like they're for defense they are forced to be reliant on other parties. Uh, right, America in particular. Yeah, and it's like you know there's a lot of and I guess that's kind of the rise of the more aggressive right wing side is that like what is the cost of peace and and that you're giving up some measure of self-reliance which we'll explore right now in uh gun the double before they kind of throw that to the side later on with uh <laughs> with psychic powers and, and gf particles uh yeah for those of you at home we're going to start in three two one episode four international negotiation you know that was the, the big thing about like gm particles because uh it's funny as a child, I never watched Gundam because, like, well, Gundam Wing because that was what was going on when I was a kid. I never watched Gundam Wing 
but I knew of the mobile suit designs and they were a big inspiration to me um, as a kid to become an engineer because I was like, yo, I'm going to build a Gundam in real life and I'm going to sell it to the U.S. military for X amount of money and be rich. <laughs> like that, that, that was my dream as a 12 year, as a 10 year old. Yeah, it's a dream for a lot of uh, people in their 40s and 50s working for the Pentagon or private defense, <laughs> private defense. PMCs. There yeah. we go. The opening is just, uh, you know, the news networks and the political entities denouncing celestial being and their actions, and they're all just kind of standing. Celestial being, the crew and staff are just standing around reacting to them, mm-hmm. reacting to their reaction. Right. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they don't like us. Look at the Human Reform League. They're they're taking a stand. They're calling us terrorists. They they have no idea what's going on here. Well, it's again, they're like very. They're wearing that contradiction. Uh, on its put to the forefront of the show, like they're going to get rid of war by waging war. Yeah, which is, you know, when you really sit down and not think about it, it actually makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, it, it sort of makes, yeah, it does, especially towards the end. Especially towards the end. Uh, and then you know, season two kind of sort of under uh, uh, shows the aftermath, right. sort of. Right, but it's like. Me- Cause I was going to say, because the idea is, right, like, you're going to create peace through war, right? That just means you're just going to have to beat the crap out of everybody until, like, they essentially submit. Yeah, or it's like the the Watchmen resolution of Ozymandias that he creates a threat. A threat that, so big that unites the world. Yeah, because, like, that's the only way they, they can deal with a bigger threat. Yes, because uh, humans are stupid like that. You know, we'll see. We'll see how... I think this episode does a lot. I think this episode, if I recall correctly, starts to unpack that a little bit with is is Marina Ismail. Because mm. I mean, I I I could I would swear this episode was doing it in two parts, right? Because like you had to deal with uh, Marina Ismail, but then unless that was a different episode, the the drop from the orbital elevator. Maybe I don't know. This is this is I like it's been a while, so I remember. I'm sure. The dedicated hardcore Gundam fans right now are yelling at both of us. I mean, they could. I mean, again, it's been so long since I've seen this show, and I love this show. Yeah, here we go. So, again, the requisite summary of, you know, what the situation is. Orbital elevators, no more fossil fuels, relies on solar power. I think, yeah, it's because of this they talk about the effects it's had on the Middle East, which a lot of their geopolitical influence it's because of all the oil but what happens when everyone switches to solar power you don't need oil anymore you don't need oil anymore yeah what do you what are they fighting for now yeah and they, I mean, they talk about like a lot of ethnic conflicts and ethnic religious com- conflicts which again was on the forefront of everyone's mind in uh, that era the early 2000s just resurface yeah. right and then thinking about this assistant lady too, she is uh I wouldn't say a copy and paste, but a copy and paste of uh Kudelia's assistant in Iron Blooded Orphan. Oh yeah, yeah. I that's the first thing I thought when I started watching Iron Blooded Orphans and they introduced that character. Yeah. Her uh her right hand. Her her girl Friday, her her pepper uh, <laughs> her pepper pops. And so just the exposition, I mean, well, not exposition, but the idea of, like, you know, talking about the Nationalist Assembly, right, that puts um, Ishmael in, into power and 
the situation that they live in, because the country is clearly war and torn, right? We can tell by the smoke that's going on in the background, the explosion, right? And then this idea of reliance upon a private military because the country doesn't have one of themselves. Um, and then that's interesting because then this country without its own military of its own has to rely upon celestial being, right? In order to create the peace within the country. So does it, so I guess in that hindsight, right? Celestial being is essentially there in order to, uh, help the weak stand tall. I mean, yeah. Cause like if you're eliminating war, Right, your goal is to eliminate war. It's ultimately for the people who don't benefit from war at all. Right. Right, because like you know, you you always have sides to conflict. One side will win, one side will lose. But there's always a third side where like people, the innocent who are not involved with it, they always lose. Right, who are all caught in the middle. Yeah, and then this country is <laughs> the real IRA, <laughs> the real IRA, <laughs> which exists still exists in 2300. And I, I guess, guess they, the terrorism has popped back up because they haven't really been a thing since the 90s. Yeah. This administration. Uh, I don't know. Wasn't it? I could have sworn there was like a thing like a couple years back uh, about the IRA and then on the BBC. But like, it's not, like I, don't, I don't think there was any like terror. There wasn't any actual terrorism, right? They still exist as a political entity, I think. Right within Ireland, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, that's but, the but, whole like, thought. There hasn't been any real like outbreak of violence like i remember red i was very young growing up in the 90s you hear about it more often until that peace treaty happened oh yeah i mean and, was... it, and it was obviously a real thing in the 70s to 80s or whenever that was oh i mean that was the i think that was that was the plot point in uh the foreigner and also uh the ralph Fiennes m in the new bond movies oh, yeah. so he's like he's not just a bureaucrat he was held hostage by the ira <laughs> by the ira Plug in for everyone to go watch No Time to Die coming out next week. Uh, <laughs> uh, Amazon. Please, and... give me, please give me money, MGM. No, you mean Amazon. Amazon, cut the check. No Time to Die? Amazon board, uh, MGM. Oh, really? Yeah. I remember, you're right, I remember about that. Anyway, introduction of another important character coming up. Uh, Soma Perez. Super soldier, number, super soldier number one of whatever the research Name of this program. Here. Yeah. Yep. She's your, you know, human super weapon, like you're not Cat America, so I guess you're Red Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You're Red Guardian. Yeah. Um, the, and then the suit that she uses, right, is essentially a souped up Terran, uh, but it's pink, because, you know, she's a girl, she has to fly around in a pink Terran. But, <laughs> yeah, which I, which I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> right. But it also screams uh, Psycho Zaku from Thunderbolt. Yeah, which is kind of like, I think it's also like kind of the point where the introduction of these super soldiers, I would argue, is like they start to become a little less, they start to move away a tiny bit from like the realism of our world to like the Gundam world. This is like the idea of like superhuman soldiers. Right, because like then... Because they're touching upon like the idea of the uh, within Gundam scene the the coordinators, right? Yeah. Because those are genetically modified humans. They're not new types who are essentially evolving within space. Yeah, but it's just like that's also an idea that's been recurring in a lot of the Gundam series that there's like a new stage of humanity or a new species of humanity 
they possess some extra abilities and you know maybe they rise above uh which this this one this series gets into a lot later on especially <laughs> but like yeah starting with the original gundam we'll flood the new types right people the idea that these are they're adapting to life in space they're adapting to life in space and in order to become better you know fighters they're able to read the the hearts and emotions of the of the person they're fighting so they're able to predict yeah, their, then, their next move like you said gundam c i guess puts it more on the forefront right yeah because because it becomes a uh essentially a uh quote-unquote race war between the coordinators and the uh naturals naturals yeah. are the ones who live on earth coordinators are the ones who live up in the space colonies mm-hmm. um but you know i guess gundam wing and iron blood orphans doesn't deal with that at all no they don't yeah so they're they're more grounded in that respect and that they're they're more focused on the the conflict between earth and its colonies right but i mean technically the new type does show up in just one character uh court okay i'm not that far yet uh, and i guess iron blood over is when they become you know literal merging with literal we're literally merging with gundams a little bit <laughs> but it's more the opposite right they're not becoming beyond humanity they're losing their humanity no they're losing humanities in order to fight on winnable battles but yeah, here we go. More, there more discussion of like uh, what what the U what what all the the na- nation blocks of the Earth is doing to prepare and fight against celestial being. Right, which I mean, pr- previous prior to that, we got to see the introduction of uh, Graham Acres Flag Fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, his, his special squad. Right, and the introduction of the new Over Flag, which is uh, a more advanced version of the flag. Mm-hmm. And so, here we got we got another political development. It's like a country in the American bloc, whatever they're called. I'm just gonna call the American bloc. The, the Union. <laughs> yeah, the Union. They're they're succeeding, succeeding from the Union. Yeah. Yes. That's something that has definitely we never, the U.S. has never had trouble with before. No, I mean, <laughs> we're still waiting on California to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Oh man, I was just reading some more about that. Although you know, Gavin Newsom. You know, one handily, so I yes, guess he did. You won't have to worry about that. Although I was reading some of the de- the breakdown of the demographics who voted for him, it's not it's troubling. I guess we'll talk oh. about it. we'll talk about it later after the podcast because I don't want to I don't want to oh, get wow. too, too political in our politically charged war drama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, this is the human reform league. Doesn't he look like Mao but with glasses? I, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little ahead of you because I don't have bad. So it's a scene of Ismail right now. Oh, okay. Because I'm looking at the Tarabia uh, doing their declaration. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little ahead. Uh, so for listeners at home, Phil has the version of Hulu with ads, and I don't. Yes. So, you know, if we're not synced up, uh, blame Phil for not wanting to shout out an extra. It, it can't be that much more expensive. It's what. Because. Hulu regular is seven dollars, and then without ads is fourteen. Yeah, it's just, it's just seven more dollars, man. Seven more dollars a month. Just eat one less. Just eat one less burger meal. You know what I could do with seven dollars though? Buy, <laughs> Wait, what can you do with seven dollars, man? What buy me do? a buy me a chopped cheese <laughs> in Arizona. Can you even get that in Atlanta at that price? Yes, I can. Cause guess what? There's a guy from the Bronx uh, who created his own bodega. Inside of a uh, end mark called Sammy's Bodega, and, <laughs> okay. and he sells 
chopped cheeses and bacon, egg, and cheeses. I was like, yo, let's go. But is it at bodega prices? Uh, no. But they're but they're five dollars, so I I accept it. All right, I just found a quote unquote bodega shop here in Portland. It's called Bodega PDX. Uh, I'll leave it. Well, next time there, I need to send you a photo of what it looks like, and then you can tell me if it looks really bodega. Okay. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like a bodega to me. It looks pretty hipster. I don't know. Have you like outside of Birds of Prey? Where else have you seen a bodega? That's pretty much about it. Oh okay. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say I don't think you've ever seen it in Mr. Robot or uh, Wu Tang. Uh, Wu Tang, no. Mr. Robot, Mr. Robot, don't like. No, Mr. Robot, do go to a bodega. Uh, but I don't. I don't. Yeah, they do, Yeah, there's like a character that goes to like her favorite bodega shop, but it doesn't look like the one. It doesn't look like the one you talk about. For one thing, it's run by an Indian dude. Okay. I mean, yeah, but, then, but then the bodega goes out of business because of the stuff that happens to Mr. Robot. Oh, uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's awk right there. It's all right. She, he's not Indian. I, I think. Pakistani? I, I, I don't remember. I just know that because she, she speaks the language with the bodega guy, which oh. is an important character thing. So there you go. Anybody, any Mr. Robot fans, don't call me racist just because I got to mix up. All right. You know, it's always great when you speak the language of the uh, of the small business owner because then you automatically get discounts. That's how it works. Oh, she didn't. That's not what she was doing, but she was making fun of the asshole behind her. Oh, OK. <laughs> oh, I guess that makes sense, too, because I know that the uh, uh, when I would go to Chinatown with my friends, uh one of them, like one was a Chinese girl, the other was a, a Chinese Chinese male. He was born in um, he was born in Hong Kong, right? So we would go to Chinatown, and he he was able to speak Cantonese. So because he was able to speak Cantonese, he was able to get us discounts on like bubble tea and stuff like that, which was cool. That's very nice. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we should probably stop because I was just we're gonna go on a bodega, Mr. Robot tangent, and our <laughs> But anyways, we can talk about the situation in Terribia, the, the place is succeeding, celestial beings heading out, and then as a result, uh, the, the, the Union, they're mobilizing all their forces. Right. So they're so building up. There's like is, a huge, a huge armed, armed force heading towards them. Yes, so this is interesting, right? Because the idea of Terribia uh, leaving, the, uh, leaving the Union, right? has called upon the Americans to, of course, uh, mobilize their their units in order to go and stop them, right? Which, in and of itself, is creating a battle, which is learning out celestial beings. So this country, Terribia, is using celestial beings to fight their battles, right? So it brings up the conundrum now. How is celestial being going to... Uh, how, is, how is celestial being going to handle this uh, fight? Yeah, because it's like they have to. They have. It's like they have to have known this would happen at some point. That like countries who are acting in bad faith, who don't really care about eliminating war, will like do whatever they will do on the on the hopes that celestial being will stop the three energy blocks. Right. So they're like, are they gonna just play into their hands to be pawns? You know, we'll we're about to find out. It's really this. I thought I think it's one of the better episodes in the whole series because it really. It, it explores really the implications of what they're doing. 
Yes. And then now, well, where I'm at in the series now is that the uh, certain flag fighters are following along with the uh, Gundam Meisters to see what they're going to do. Of course, they're not going to engage until unless they engage, but they're trying to see what the next move is going to be. All right. So I'm here. They finally begun their attack. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm like, what, 10 seconds ahead of you? Yeah, about. Okay, that's good. That's on fire. So here we go. We found the answer in that celestial being attacks the country's armed forces. The, the, the they, city country's armed forces. Everybody. Everybody gets the smoke. Yeah. Like... <laughs> and they're wondering, like, wait, what's going on? Why? We haven't done anything yet. You know? Like, like but celestial being sees right through them. Yeah. Because, like, the idea is... They are enticing this war in order to uh, create a conflict, so they themselves aren't as innocent as they like to make themselves to seem. Yeah, they're saying they're saying it right there. They, they're a country that promotes war, therefore they are a legitimate target for yep. intervention. Yeah, we see, you know, all the, all of them just like take them out. <laughs> uh, Curios doing his Curios thing. So that, you know. Exia doing Exia thing. Um, what do you think about the design of their like their their the mobile suits? This country, so they're like kind of orange triangle looking things. Yeah, I mean they're essentially flags with uh with dunce caps over their heads. Yeah, for the, that's the perfect for the, for the stupid move that they did. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get behind like they look like dunce caps. Uh, which is which is bloody hilarious. Yeah, but just, I mean, it's also kind of cool too because, like, clearly these mobile suits are supposed to have an um a mobile I mean a flight a flight mode or a plane mode or whatever you want I want to call it MA mode. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we don't necessarily see it. But like, this is this was just very funny. Yeah. So there we go. Celestial being is trounced them pretty bad at the country. <laughs> they're actually they're like, all right. This this thing goes like we thought it was going to. So right. they're, gonna, they're gonna they're gonna call back the union and basically beg them, beg them, <laughs> beg them. back. Yeah. <laughs> Which of course in turns allows the union to come in and fight the fight. You know, like it's just, it's like the big brother calling. I mean, the little brother calling the big brother to go beat up the bully. Yeah. But then the bully after, beats up the big brother. brother. Yeah, after the little brother just like piss all over the big brother's shoes. <laughs> But then the bully beats the crap out of the big brother, too, so... Yep. So there we go. Uh, American mobile suit teams taking off. They literally call them American, which, you know, yeah, America, yeah, look, we're saving we're saving their for the, the little Caribbean... I'm assuming it's like a Caribbean or Latin American country. It's supposed to be a Latin, uh, Latin American country. Like, the, the way they show it on the map, it's supposed to be, like, within uh, Venezuela. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, that's a country we. There's a country we. We had nothing but smooth relationships with. <laughs> oh, here we go. There's Graham Acre and this special cool flag again, and going in super top speed. Yes, the uh, very t- old flag. Yeah, it's very Top Gun s right now. Uh, you can't do that maneuver, Maverick. <laughs> yeah, that's something that was uh, important to Savage earlier is that he he asked for it to be redesigned. To move like super fast, but like, what about the stress of the pilot? It's like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. So yeah, he's willing, you know, Fortnite's character establishment, he's willing to Sacrifice overclock. Body. Yeah, overclock his 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 mobile suit's performance, you know, without regard for his own safety. Yeah. 
And you remember, he knocked it out. He knocked out Cessna into the water. And this is like the first kind of real, sort of a real defeat we've seen so far. Yeah, with the, like a head-to-head battle with the Gundam. But then again, like, especially within that first fight to begin with, like, even though it ended up with uh, Graham Aker running away, quote-unquote, like, he was able to hold his own very well against this high-impact machine. But then also the same thing with uh, the Colonel Smirnoff. Right, with the Terran. Yeah, he like, was able to hold his own against Setsuna. And they, they both, I think they both said they made comments that it's not the the pilot is not as skilled as he as he first looks. As he first looks, yeah, it's all all comes down to the machine, which is always you know very interesting to see too because, uh, you've seen Gundam Unicorn, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the scene where the uh the Chris the Krishna so like the giant uh the giant green the giant green mobile suit with the funnels with the the four the four parts. The tank one. The yeah. Tank. Yeah. Sure. The one in space that was done by like the Zeon, the remnant Zeon crew, uh, and then sure, like it just yeah. beat it beat the crap out of all like the Federation grunts. Yeah. So that there was the one scene where uh it was like after defeating all the other Jigans, like, the, the one Jigan left, and that pilot was also very good, but like he had no face or name or anything. But the way he was performing against the the Krishna, I keep calling it the Krishna. I have no idea how to pronounce this thing because Xenon mobile suits have like the dumbest names in the world. Um, <laughs> I, you quote quote me on that. Xeon has Xeon mobile suits have dumb names outside of Zaku's and Goofs. <laughs> even that one even yeah even that one's stupid oh my god or All the right. big zam but i digress but like um that jigen was able to like really hold his own against that against that high impact machine and has a side high has a side kamu right the pilot's a new type and it has funnels and this one lone jigen was able to hold its own up until its destruction i thought that was always fascinating you know, we need more love for these grunt suits. That's I think that's why I like eighth MS team a lot too, because not only do you have like the ground Gundams, but you also have like the the ground gyms as well. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. Damn it, Eric. Like <laughs> you said, I don't really care about the suits. And that's the end of this episode. It's actually had a little bit, like 30 seconds ago. Yeah. It just ends with uh, Cessna. Crying in his bed. Not, maybe not literally crying. But not crying, like but like mulling it over like, damn, he was nice. Yeah, he was nice. <laughs> and he lost his fight. And, you know, Saji, Crossroads, and Luis are just like, yeah, our neighbor's being really mopey. <laughs> and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see more of that soon. Their their interactions with Gundam Pilot as a neighbor. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, this is a, yeah, it's a nice twist and turn that, uh, you know, we're, we're used in our in these Gundam show. A lot of a lot of stuff, but especially anime and especially in Gundam, that the protagonist is like the most skilled pilot ever. And this one, no, he's getting his ass kicked. Right, but I mean, you know, it's always funny that uh, you have these high experimental mobile suits or you know weapons of weapons of mass destruction, quote unquote, within within these worlds, and you know, angsty teenagers just so happen to find them. Yeah, yes. That's the other thing. They're always angsty, brooding teenagers. Right. Because you think about like Amuro with the RX-78, Camille with uh, the Gundam Mark II. Camille. That's uh, that's a. I'm not a girl. I'm a boy. <laughs> uh, you know, Ironblood orphans are all. Well, they're all angsty, but for good reason. Yes, they they all have their reasons, especially uh, Akihiro. Like Akihiro yep. has more more reason than most. 
Yeah. That's also why I appreciate Evangelion so much, because they actually show us what happens when you put angsty, moody teenagers of issues in charge of giant wrecking machines. Right, because I think my so, favorite episode when he was holding uh when he was holding the base hostage. Yeah. Yeah, throwing <laughs> a temper tantrum. And yes. yeah, it shows, you know, the the that's not always a, a good thing, which Gundam will kinda of more or less take for granted and <laughs> throwing their like moody moody young people into machines of war. Right. That was uh episodes three and four of Gundam Double O. Apologize for the Technical difficulties. It'll just give me more work to edit out later. You love it. Uh, I don't actually. I don't. <laughs> now, now that I have actually have work coming in, and I don't have time on my head, now I don't love it. Mm. So, um, join us next week. We'll continue our watch of Gundam O. I think they're. Let me just get a peek at what they are. Escape Limit Zone and Seven Swords. Right, so Escape Limit Zone is where we get to see the introduction of uh, the Super Terran that's pink. Right, right. It's more, it's yeah, it's the one of uh, Hall- it's a Hallelujah focus. Hallelujah episode. episode. Yep. Yeah, I don't know what Seven Swords is. I don't remember that one. At all. Seven Swords is when uh the what's it called uh when the Exia gets its two the two new swords which are just like vibro blades. Alright, alright. When, when you describe it to me in terms of equipment and upgrades, I'm not going to remember. Oh, I told like, you, I care about the characters, I care about the story. <sighs> Sorry, like, I mean, like, I know what I like. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Eric <laughs> And I'm Phil Fleming. And this is the Mobile Suit Podcast. And last, last time, we didn't really have a send-off, so this time around, we're going to go ahead and do a Gundam of the Week. All right. And, <laughs> I like this. And this week's, uh, well, not just Gundam of the Week, but like Mobile Suit of the Week. And this week's Mobile Suit of the Week, I've mentioned it before, is the uh, Jigen. Uh, give me one second while I pull up its stats. All right. <laughs> In order for Eric to learn Mobile Suits and for me to just, you know, talk about the grunts. Let's see. Uh, oh, the R, I mean, the RGM. Because oh, uh, I imagine you don't really have a chance to talk about mobile suits with anyone else, right? Not at all. You know, I mean, not, I, your, I, not your wife, I not your jobs. With, yeah, no, not definitely not my jobs. I talk about it with my wife, but she just gives me funny looks. Like, what the hell are you even talking about? Talk about um, okay, so but we have the RGM eighty nine Jigen, which is we have the RGM. Uh, do do Hold on, let me. Crap, a lot of a lot of things is happening at once. There we go. The RGM eighty nine uh, Jigen, which is a mass produced uh, mobile suit used by uh, Standard Federation forces, introduced in uh, the Mobile Suit Gundam Shark Counterattack movie. <laughs> it, it is a spin-off, well, not a spin-off, but it is an upgrade of the RGM-79 Jim mass production mobile suit, right? RGM is the model number and referring to its lineage, which are all based off of Operation V. So the Gundam, the gun tank, and gun cannon during its time uh, flying, uh, fighting on the white base during the one-year war. Uh, instead, this uh Machine was also created by Anaheim Electronics, which we all know as the guys who like to play for both sides. 
they play both sides, so they always come out on top. Like yes, they, sunny. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Because after the one year war, you know, uh, Anaheim absorbs Zonic, uh, which is Zeon's uh, mass production, uh, I mean, mobile suit production company. So they absorbed some of the people there and brought them into Anaheim, which is why in uh, 0083 Stardust Memory, the, the teacher Girba is technically a Gundam in uh zaku armor all right well glad you got that out i'm sure you made some listeners out there out there very happy (laughs) (laughs) me i'm not one of those so Uh, thanks for listening everyone all right